0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin Podcast. My name is Matt Ruskin. and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. As always, we have Jorna Taylor. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Happy to be here. All right, and of course, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So We have a number of topics that we're going to dive into this week about uh, state politics and things that have been going on, but we wanted to start the podcast by talking a bit about the news that came out uh, around the investigation around the Bradley Foundation uh, and uh, this week it was it came out jointly both through the Center for Media and Democracy who our listeners know it uh, here in Wisconsin uh, does tremendous work in terms of investigating uh, what's been what's going on politically in the state and the journal Sentinel uh, a huge investigation around the Brad uh, around the Bradley Foundation and so we're very excited to have Mary Botari the deputy director of the Center for Media and Democracy with us today to talk more about uh, this investigation into the Bradley Foundation. Mary, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So why don't you just tell us, our listeners, I'm sure some of our listeners have probably read this, a lot of them, but I bet a lot have not. So what are the top lines of what you guys found in all of this uh, information that uh, basically came through from, from hacking?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, to be clear, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that it looks like the Russians hacked the Bradley Foundation back in October of 2016, and they made publicly available some 56,000 files that we've been taking a look at. And they expose a national effort uh, bankrolled by the Bradley Foundation to assess and expand what they call conservative infrastructure nationwide. But when they're talking about infrastructure, they're not talking about roads and bridges, they're talking about uh, investing in think tanks and investing in media and investing in litigation centers and investing in dynamic leadership um, to effectuate a highly political agenda. And that's what we've been taking a look at, uh, their extremely political agenda, which sort of stacks the deck in favor of Republicans and pulls the rug out from under Democrats.
2: So Mary, this is Robert. As you know, I mean, people who stay this closely like you do know that the Bradley Foundation is one of the core foundations that created the whole right-wing infrastructure and, in fact, in many ways has been more influential, arguably, than the much more notorious now Koch brothers, and that a lot of it comes back to the history of— of, of right-wing billionaires finding a way to essentially tax shelter their money and then really starting in the 70s and 80s shifting to a very political agenda. So this sounds like philanthropy, it gets a tax deduction, it expands their wealth, but it's really highly political. Uh, is that, that you're fi- your finding looking at what you call this weaponized philanthropy?
1: Yeah, well- that's for sure i mean just look at the people who have been running the bradley foundation recently you had uh, michael joyce there for a number of years who was a top level reagan um, transition team member, very involved in Republican politics in the, state, in the states and nationally. Um, you were fo- that was followed by Michael Grebe, who was the RNC's general counsel. And so both these men spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to turn a, qu- a quote-unquote charitable organization. I mean, when people think of charitable organizations, they think of the Boys and Girls Club, they think of foundations that support the symphony and the arts, but really what Milwaukee's been doing. It's building infrastructure nationwide, and they link that infrastructure to the unified control of governorships, legislatures, and state Supreme Courts by the Republican Party. Um, There's actually a movie that we found on the Bradley Foundation's website that boasts that together we can help keep our Great Lakes blue and our states red. And when you look at these documents, that's exactly what they're trying to do.
3: Well, Mary, thanks for joining us, this is Jorna. Um, First of all, you know, our friends here in Wisconsin have been named on the enemies list. Our friends over at One Wisconsin now have, uh, have made it. And Robert's pointing out that yes, you also have made the enemies list.
1: For us to make the Bradley's enemies list, um, but it does raise the question of why does a charitable foundation have an enemies list? For heaven's sakes, right?
0: Yeah, well, and I, I think that's what's most to me the most uh, uh, important part of this is this notion that they're not just someone who's supposedly working on issues that they support but actively going after their enemies, right? Actively go after labor, go after uh, uh, educators and and their unions and other parts of the the infrastructure that actually um, opposes uh, their ideas.
1: That's right. So some of our top line discoveries is, one, they have a sort of dedicated line of funding that they like to call employee rights. But behind the scenes, they tell what their real political agenda is. Their political agenda is to defang and defund big labor, as they call it, big labor. Why? Because it's a pillar. It's a funding pillar of the left. Now, what do they mean by the left? Well, you know, in truth, they mean the Democratic Party, because that's Who big labor supports. They are the boots in the ground, the army on the ground of the Democratic Party. If you can defund big labor in a state like Wisconsin, what happens? Well, sometimes what happens is (laughs) that the state goes for. Republican um, in the presidential cycle for the first time since 1984. That's what happened here in Wisconsin. And we see Bradley, uh, Bradley grantees talking about this in a very politicized way. They actually say things like, wow, you know, crushing unions in Wisconsin and Michigan really helped, uh, helped win the election for the Republicans, this type of language. Um, we also learn that they've hyper-invested in this guy named Richard Berman, who is is uh, referred to as Dr. Evil and a corporate spin doctor um, by um, 60 Minutes. Um, Richard Berman excels at spinning disinformation about people. He has attacked websites, both on unions and community groups and um, uh, anti-fracking activists and environmentalists. Um, His job is to smear as many people as possible, and so to have a staid foundation, a staid, reputable foundation like the Bradley Foundation, investing in his kind of opposition research is really kind of unseemly.
2: And Mary, there's Robert. I know uh, CMD, you've probably purported this as well by a member in Jane Mayer's book. Uh, dark money. She she discusses how the MX missile deal and the purchase of the of uh, Alan Bradley by Rockwell is what created this huge bankroll in the first place, which is ironic and interesting. But you uh, you were telling me on the phone that there's. Uh, that they also are, are very concerned about any groups that are working to increase voting, since increasing voting undermines their clearly partisan purposes. And so Wisconsin Voices, for example, comes up, that kind of the coordinating table that we and, uh, and other groups work with just to make sure that underrepresented constituencies actually vote and have a voice in their democracy.
1: No, that's right. There's- a number of different ways that their agenda gets even more hyper political. They um, they fund institutions that are trying to protect the interest of dark money donors. Um, they fund institutions that are, are launching lawsuits on this issue of dark money. They fund institutions that are suing Democratic counties to try to get them to purge voter rolls. Um, they do mention many Milwaukee institutions. For instance, Wisconsin Voices comes up because they're commissioning McIver, um, a think tank in the state that Bradley has long funded, they're commissioning McIver to do opposition research on the progressive left in the state of Wisconsin. That opposition research is secret. It hasn't been published. So we learn a lot of uh, important things about the Bradley Foundation, and we have a series of three articles at exposedbycmd.org, and we have a lot more coming.
0: So uh, before we let you go, is there anything you'd want to preview or something else? Uh, I, obviously, the Wisconsin Voices thing is big because, as Robert said, it's just really trying to get people out to vote uh, that uh, uh, folks should really uh, pay attention to that's coming, coming in the future here from, the, from these documents.
1: Well, um, Bradley has a very, uh, is very antagonistic both to unions and to the LGBT community. They have funded lawsuits um, related to LGBT issues, and they've funded organizations that are basically trying to, quote-unquote, sort of roll back the sexual revolution. <laughs> so we'll be having a lot more on that idea in the, in the coming week.
0: Well, Mary, we really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to join us, but most importantly for taking the time to go through this voluminous dump of information because obviously this uh, foundation is so central to what kind of democracy we're going to sort of have going forward here and and sort of what we face uh, in terms of trying to figure out how we can build a a Wisconsin that we all would really want to see. So thank you very much. No problem obviously it was we want to thank Mary Botari that was and really want to encourage folks to check out the research on their site it's very important to understand what we face but we got to get out of here so welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin we're going to transition here and talk a little bit about what's been going on here in the state of Wisconsin and we want to start by talking about something that broke after last week's podcast, and, or last week's show, and uh, that is the dust-up around the pre-existing conditions with Governor Walker. Um, obviously, the House passes their bill, which would allow states to opt out, potentially, of covering pre-existing conditions, and it didn't take Governor Walker very long to, to basically say that he would be open to accepting one of these waivers, and... Uh, Immediately, a lot of uh, uh, people, certainly online, it got a lot of attention. And uh, 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 Otagame County Executive Tom Nelson, uh, later that day, uh, when he got an opportunity to talk to the governor in Appleton, uh, attempted to try to engage him on the subject and how important it would be not to to, to take a waiver against preexisting conditions. And this resulted in a huge dust-up that uh, had the governor basically immediately politicizing the question and uh, insulting uh, Tom Nelson. But this went viral and went all over the state, a lot of news stories, which really only elevated this whole issue of uh, Walker saying he would take the uh, accept or consider uh, taking a a waiver. Uh, Walker immediately backpedaled or at least said, no, no, no. It's a given that we're going to accept this waiver. So big news. I assume, though, nobody here actually believes that whatever Walker said, whether it was before or after, uh, that we can take him at his word and we ought to assume that, or excuse me, going back to discriminating against people with pre-existing
2: conditions is definitely possible. It was shocking in the first place that the price of the uh, temporary victory in the House was to let states uh, uh, go back to pre-existing discrimination. The Republicans and all of their strategists and polling had showed them that this is a third rail and they shouldn't go there and in fact this is the thing that ha- one of the major things that helped pass the Affordable Care Act and associating their policies with such discrimination is extremely damaging and builds support for the Affordable Care Act. So that was shock number one. Shock number two is Scott Walker. Who sees himself and thinks of himself as a master political strategist? He's his own political strategist, uh, but whose approach seems to be to be at the front of the line right now. I'm going to do everything that Trump's allowed uh, that was illegal before. That's what we, we see in the forced drug testing and the work requirements for Badger Care. Um, his instinct there was okay, I'm going to jump out and say, I want this kind of waiver. And then Tom Nelson did a good job t- calling him out on it, and he just saw that as political, Why right? You run for governor, like no one would ever bring this up unless they're running for governor. And I have no idea whether Tom wants to run for governor or not. But the point is uh, that he was calling him out on a position, and then uh, Walker immediately backstepped, which, of course, since he, since he claimed he never wanted to right to work, for example— we found out that divide what divide and conquer meant. I don't believe you can believe anything anything that that he commits to, and he'll come out with a strong reason why he want why he wants to do it. In fact, you should probably assume that if he ever says he wants to do something, that he plans to do it as soon as he has the power.
3: Well what I think the most interesting thing about this whole interaction for those who have watched it and Matt perhaps you can link it on our we'll um, a, a clip to effect. it, yep. is that County Executive Nelson was not trying to pull a gotcha on the governor. He wasn't trying to have an insta-press conference. He wasn't trying to be a jerk, and the governor got mad. You know, sources who have talked to the county executive in out of Gamey County um, said that, you know, he's, he's worked with the governor in the state assembly and things for a long time, and he's never seen him really lose it like this, which— You know, and then the immediate sort of um, 180 by Walker on this whole thing means that they know the polling numbers on this don't look good. And so while the governor may have been able to politicize it against um, Tom Nelson, you know, it backfired. And they they know they know that this is a losing proposition when called out.
0: Yeah. If you watch the video. Nelson's very like he's whispering in the he's governor's a nice race. He's guy. He's, he's not almost that trying guy. to, he appears to be trying to almost avoid yeah. having it go public. And even when Walker starts engaging him and really getting animated and said, Well, you should run for governor, he's like, No, 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 no. Like, let's not go there, right? Like, I really like, want to so have this conversation. Response. Yeah. I want to talk was... about
3: pre existing conditions. So yeah. why don't you run for governor? And, and, and he was trying
0: to like calm it down. You could see Nelson, like, if anything, I, I think like base progressive activists probably wanted to see Nelson come at him with a lot more fear and be like, you know, you know, show some... Why are you a jerk? Sh- but, but that's not Tom Nelson's nope. personality. And so it actually made Walker look like a bully and look like someone who was clearly, as you pointed out, Jorna, incredibly defensive about this policy and understanding that he had made a massive mistake. Now, whether this gets back to the question of whether we can trust what Walker whether that's actually true or not, whether he would still not consider a ban. And he, there was wiggle room in some of the comments he made.
2: And we need to remember that Walker has certainly been prone to these kind of uh, errors before. I mean, just thinking back to 2014, there have been more than this when he, well, of course, the Koch brother tape was one, but uh, going back to 2011, but in 2014, the saying that, oh, I'd get rid of the whole minimum wage. I don't believe there should be any minimum wage. And then his complete meltdown on how not taking the badger care money helps the insurance companies. Our problem then was is that uh, Mary Burke and her handlers, in their wisdom, decided not to even really campaign on the on these lapses. And so I think this time, because pre-existing conditions has grown to such stature, as we predicted for a while it would, it just, we just can't believe our good luck that the Republicans and the, and the Freedom Caucus has brought it back uh, to, the, to the front burner, uh, that, this, that this should be repeated over and over again. Here's the thing. Progressives are too technically rational, and they see something like pre-existing conditions its own little discrete issue, and its only policies about pre-existing conditions. It's actually a part that stands for the whole. And what I mean by that is... It defines the moral quality of believing that an insurance company ought to be able to decide who gets life-saving care and who doesn't who can get health care and who can't. And it goes beyond the specific thing we call pre pre-exist condition discrimination. It goes to everything that insurance companies do to decide to insure healthy people, not to insure less healthy people, if they just find other ways to avoid people who have been sick. And it goes to the moral character of the Republican health care plan that would kick 24 million people off health care. And the moral character of Walker's BadgerCare waiver, which is not designed to help people, is designed to force people off of BadgerCare, who will then be uninsured and then will be vulnerable Incredibly vulnerable and live shorter lives and have tremendous financial insecurity as well. And so we need to see pre existing conditions as a part that stands in for a much broader immoral whole that's, def- that's definitional of, quite frankly, all right wing health policy at this point in our history. So obviously, this policy came out of the House. And uh, while
0: Governor Walker certainly uh, stepped into it this week as it relates to pre existing conditions, it is our fine congressman paul ryan who is the the father the brainchild of this excellent uh piece of legislation uh, it hasn't been a good week for him either uh post post uh house health care bill uh, he showed up in uh, harlem at a, a charter school this week where he was greeted uh, by a large group of protesters and lots of jeering and he uh, clearly not very popular jorna i know uh we love to talk about Paul Ryan. He's one of our favorite people to follow. You have some numbers for us about how Paul Ryan's actually doing.
3: Sure. Well, let's start with the fact that Paul Ryan has not had a town hall in his district for over 584 days now, I believe.
0: There will be one
3: this week, though, right? There'll on be Friday? one. There'll be one this week on Friday. Oh, wait, that's right. That's right. They're importing another <laughs> district's congressman, uh, Congressman Pocan from the second congressional district, is Who going was born to... there. Correct, but he doesn't. He doesn't directly represent them in in the United States House of Representatives. He's coming because, you know, they've got to have someone come listen to their concerns so that, you know, thank you, Congressman Pocan, you know. Ryan did have a town hall in St. Louis with CNN right after the election, I believe, or maybe in October of 2016, somewhere around there. So, you know, it's good. Um, but Stop the Speaker issued just this morning some brand new polling numbers uh, that came right after the healthcare vote in the House. And they're, they're really interesting. And I'm sure we can link them on the website as well. But uh, one of the questions, if election for Congress were held today, would you vote to reelect Republican Paul Ryan? Or do you think it's time for someone new reelect paul ryan 46 someone new 48 do do you approve of the um, republicans the american health care act not not obamacare but the republican Healthcare act approve 32 disapprove 50 percent after ouch after you run through the the whole thing about this is what the Affordable Health Care Act actually does this is and it will do to you Yeah, you know, this is this is how you're gonna die from it and go into bankruptcy <laughs> um, when asked again if the election for Congress were held today would you vote to reelect Republican Paul Ryan 4four percent would vote to reelect 51 percent would vote for somebody new and you know that's coming on like a five point dip two months ago on his approval ratings and and these are first congressional district numbers it's not looking good for my friend
0: jorna i believe the last time we talked about these numbers we went through and he was more popular than unpopular two months ago right so you've mentioned that uh, this is a tough district uh, for progressives. It is a gerrymandered district. It was changed to be more Republican. So the fact that he's underwater here is uh, not good and fun. shows, it's yeah, fun. shows that he is
2: in trouble, Robert. Well, I mean, I don't know if they told them all of the great things that, that the speaker's doing, which he, of course, with, with money from the people, will be able to tell them about. But I'm wondering if they were told about the fact that the top tenth of 1% with the health care repeal are going to get $200,000 on average tax breaks, because clearly there are a lot of top ten of, one, of the 1% centers running around the 1st Congressional District in Kenosha, Racine, and Janesville, aren't there? Probably not. And uh, we're going to have to get out
0: of here. But uh, the next two segments of our show are going to be more interviews from our People's Action Conference in Washington, DC. Robert's going to have an interview with uh, Roger
2: Hickey. The co-founder of the Campaign for America's Future, which is now part of People's Action, one of the top uh, progressive strategists um, in the whole country, to talk to us about the future of the movement and where we stand in the Trump resistance.
0: We didn't get time this week, but we uh, did notice uh, that we got the green light to give away more money to their uh, campaign special interests, just in
2: time for the election.
0: And also, we will try to spend some time next week, hopefully talking about the flat tax idea that the uh, Assembly Republicans tried to disguise in a transportation bill, but. We We got to get
2: out of here. We're back here at Battleground, Wisconsin, and we are at the uh, People's Action Founding Convention at the uh, Omni Shoreham Hotel in Washington, D.C. And we're pleased to have with us Roger Hickey, who is the uh, co-director of Campaign for America's Future. So a very well-known progressive leader. He's been through the wars and has been one of the kind of uh, high-level kind of analysts of where we're going. And so I think he can shed a lot of light on, on what the movement moment is in this current protest and resistance to Trump. So, uh, Roger, thank you for joining us. Yeah, great to be with you. So there are some people who think that we're in, the next, we're in the middle of the next big social movement right now, that what has happened maybe in the Bernie campaign is the ramp-up, but then as, since Trump was elected, just the level of democratic engagement, that this is something different and new and that we're at the beginning of the progressive era, the New Deal. What are your thoughts on, on the movement moment?
4: It is ironic, isn't it, that, uh, that Trump has become the organizer of the progressive movement. If Hillary had won... We would be trying to modify her agenda, pushing her forward. But uh, we've got a, we've got a situation where the guy that won the presidency won it pretending to be a friend of labor, pretending to be a friend of working people, and challenging a lot of the things that we've been challenging about global trade deals and neoliberal uh, governance of the of the economy. And uh, and yet he is also one of the most racist, one of the most uh, xenophobic, one of the most anti-woman candidates that we've ever seen. And, uh, and almost instantly he's been taken over by the conventional conservatives. So we have a mobilization, the resistance that's grown up since the day after he was elected, the day after he was inaugurated, has been astounding. Uh, it's the biggest thing that I've ever seen in my many years. And it, it, it grows out of the fact that so many people on the progressive side of the spectrum knows that he's a rip-off artist and a sham. And the exciting thing is that I think having raised the expectations of working-class people, uh, I think he's going to disappoint them. So it's very, very important that we stand up to him on on his uh, blatantly horrible things that he's doing about immigration the horrible things that he's doing about women's rights the horrible things that he's doing uh... on on all kinds of issues that are dear near and dear to liberals but it's also important that we lay the groundwork for explaining to average people that he's not working for them he's not working for us he's working for the big banks and the and the, and, the, and the wealthy, the same class that he comes from in New York City.
2: So, can you say a little bit about why so many people have been activated? I mean... It's not normal times. It reminds me of the 2011 protests in Wisconsin, where all of a sudden a lot of people want to be citizens. By that I mean not just voting, but actually taking all sorts of action, being on the streets, calling their representatives, and joining organizations, creating new ones, whatever is out there. There's just something in the air where people want to be good citizens and want to stand up to it, but they're a very diverse array of people. It's hard to know whether there's a a shared platform or agenda yet, but there is something in the air that people want to impact what Trump is doing? Do you have a sense of what's in the air and why is why is are so many people being brought to action right at this point?
4: Well, I think if you look at the large universe, keeping keeping in mind that that Hillary actually won uh, the majority of the, the popular vote, if you combine the people who worked for Bernie and were inspired by Bernie Sanders, and then most of whom went uh, on and and loyally worked for the Democratic ticket up and down, uh, that's a majority already, and. Uh, Those people, our kind of people if you will, uh, a lot of them are just fundamentally offended that this guy Trump managed to get himself elected. Some of us are a little bit angry with the Democratic Party that we allowed it to happen. Some of us are a little bit disappointed with Hillary that she did not make it a decent race. But all of us, I think, are outraged that this guy Donald Trump, who started his, his public career as the guy who questioned the birthright of, of Barack Obama, whether he was a, born in America, whether he was a citizen, uh, th- the fact that this guy, who is such a sham and such a ripoff artist, uh, such a, uh, an illegal hustler in so many different parts of his life, uh, that he has ended up, not only with as president, but with a Democratic Republican majority to work with, and so I think the shock of the realization that the political system had created uh, a, a a presidency run by by Donald Trump that mobilized people, the horrible things that he said, and the horrible things that he's said that he's going to fight for uh including dismantling the inadequate healthcare system that Obama passed. Uh it's just it seems like every day he gives progressives another reason to get up and, and mobilize.
2: So let me ask you a little bit about health the healthcare piece and follow up on that. I mean I can tell you there are a lot of people who are shocked that the lead resistance issue is health care. I mean the Democrats had essentially stopped even trying to defend the Affordable Care Act. It was like a pinata in the last election, just hundreds of millions being spent attacking it. Conservatives were promising essentially universal health care and running on health care costs. I remember a year ago in People's Action, so Citizen Action Wisconsin, organizations organization is a member of the network, Campaign for America's Future is as well, and, you know, boys in the wilderness saying that health care is even an issue. Now it's our leading issue. It's fascinating how the, the dime is turned on health care, and it's become a positive issue for progressive all of a sudden, once Trump and Ryan tried to take it away, basically.
4: Yeah. I mean, all of us would rather have a better health care system than Obamacare. I fought... Really hard for the public option, which got thrown aside, uh, and and we know that that Obamacare has its faults. We know very very closely. We we watch them make the compromises to get it done, but uh, but but Trump, who was very vague about health care, pretended that he was going to have a much better plan than Obamacare. Uh, he's clearly out to do what the Republicans have been saying for eight years uh they're going to get rid of it get rid of it and and get rid of people's coverage bad as it might be uh get rid of the new people who've been put on the rolls and and take that money that we're spending on the subsidies uh and turn it into a tax cut for the wealthy well you know you could improve uh, obamacare a lot of different ways but that's not one of them uh destroying this health care system that we have and replacing it with absolutely nothing except you're on your own, buddy, uh, that's enough to make people uh, really get up and oppose them. And secondly, there's even there's there's other Republicans who want to go even farther to dismantle the whole they system, want
2: to go after the, the third whale—pre-existing condition discrimination, right?
4: And, and they want to get rid of Medicaid, right? And they want to uh, dismantle Social Security and Medicare. I mean, uh, and uh, they're not all extremists, or they all don't have uh, that extremist um, reputation. But they're all—the uh, Speaker of the House, who happens to be from Wisconsin, is—is right. uh, is out there. He came up with the plan that Obama that that Trump then, then followed through on. Uh, the great thing is that they're internally conflicted. They're fighting among each other, the Republicans right. are. And some people, especially in the Senate, know that this is dangerous stuff and it's gonna lose them the House and the Senate. So uh, it, it only makes sense for, for progressives to stand up and say, uh, this is wrong. This is not what we need and to remind people who voted for Trump and this is the long-term goal that we've got to have remind people who voted for Trump that he's not improving the system he's making things worse and he's making things worse like in the state of Kentucky where I'm from uh, uh... the uh... the Obamacare was working and 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 helping a lot of working class people and now Trump wants to take it away so it's it's one of many things that people really want to fight back on.
2: I, I feel like, oh, I get your reaction. There was a real worldview mistake they made. They took the bait with the sp- one-time spike in premiums and ran on the cost of health care and choice of doctors. They essentially adopted progressive values, and then they tried to do a bait-and-switch. And didn't get away with it because of the protest, because there was so much light on it. And in fact, a record number of Republicans think it's the federal government's job to guarantee health care. So it seems like they made a huge tactical mistake in the last election. That is, the Republicans, Paul Ryan, Donald Trump.
4: Yeah, you know, they never did, the Republicans never did figure out what they would do after repealing getting rid of Obamacare. That was their slogan for the last eight years. Uh, There's this... There's this constant refrain among all Republicans that that's, that's what we're sent to Washington to do. And suddenly, uh, we're able to point out that the emperor has no clothes, that, that this plan is gonna hurt a whole lot of people, millions and millions of people. And uh, it's gonna embarrass the, the Republican Party if they actually caught the car that they were chasing. Right. So it's one of many things that we can show people uh, they really don't mean what they say. They really are damaging people.
2: So, uh, will we need to take a, big, a break? This is Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we will be back right after this. Okay, we're back at Battleground Wisconsin, and we're talking to Roger Hickey, the co-director of the Campaign uh, for America's Future, and. You know the healthcare debate right now, and how it's become been front and center of the whole resistance. It seems to me that part of the issue for conservatives, since they ran on lower healthcare costs, more affordability uh, reform that Trump said would be excellent and would give everyone great insurance, uh, that it requires a robust role for government for our democracy that in many ways there's no actor in the system that wants to guarantee healthcare to everyone except us except we the people certainly insurance companies just want to make a quick profit they're wall street funded same with the pharmaceutical company down the line and so it seems like republicans kind of fall fell into a trap of delivering something their constricted view of government can't deliver in the 21st century uh, do, you, do, you, do you have that sense that they just can't deliver health care plans especially since they want to defy the law of gravity and take all the money and make it into tax cuts right
4: uh, have surrounded themselves with uh, pollsters and people who help them come up with phrases. But beyond those phrases, oh, we want a better health care system that reduces costs, beyond those few phrases, what they are really for is destroying government. And and we've just seen it, that that beyond their rhetoric, the plan that they actually came up with hurt millions and millions of people, took away coverage that people have gotten from Obamacare, and even would destroy uh, some of the employer-sponsored health care system that we currently have. So, uh, yes, they have a, a, a small, thin veneer of we care about the people, but in reality, they're all anti-government, Ayn Rand libertarians. And the interesting thing about this next period is that all of their ideas are gonna get trotted out there. Uh, people are gonna be forced to decide whether uh, global warming is a hoax or whether or not you know we're gonna throw the dice and, and have half the country underwater uh, pretty soon. Uh, all of their positions are gonna be tried and found very, very wanting. And, and the most important one is their promise to create jobs. They are going to cut taxes, and they may get away with it, but it's not going to produce jobs. It's not going to produce the kind of growth that we need to employ everybody who
2: voted for Trump. If you give, and this is what the uh, Obamacare repeal does, the top tenth of 1%, $200,000 a year on average, they're going to create jobs with it. They're going to make whatever the best investment is, which might well be investments overseas or just, banking it basically exactly. and so it has nothing to do they're only they're going they already have enough money if, if they thought there was a good return they'd create jobs with it they create jobs to the extent that it makes more money for them that's the only reason not to create jobs Anywhere as a goal around the globe that's right. right that's right so you mentioned global warming and you know we're in this denial situation we have a bizarre EPA EPA secretary now under Trump we have Trump going and making promising de- promises to coal coal miners right in Wisconsin Scott Walker has scrubbed all mentions of global warming from the state website department of natural resources website trying to cancel the DNR magazine which is profitable and does very well but has talked too much about global warming and the science behind it it seems like you have almost, not only a global warming genocide uh, on the horizon, which we could, it, totally preventable, right? It would take less than 1.5% of GDP, to do it, and plus it would be a re- reason to put people back to work. It yep. seems like, and to find a way to finance it. So it seems like we're in this weird situation where we're debating whether the Earth is flat or not, and 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 may- we're allowing China to become the leader on global warming. Which I'm good that China's doing it because we need it, but it's a bizarre situation right now that we're facing.
4: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Trump ran at least rhetorically uh, as a different kind of Republican, but on global warming. He has been down the line, uh, radical, conservative, uh, denying that global warming even exists. It's a Chinese plot to convince us to bankrupt our economy. Uh, the, the fact is that uh, Trump and the Republicans are going on a religious faith that somehow um, uh, this is all a hoax and that nobody cares about it. Uh, I'll tell you, people who live on the coasts of, of this country care about it. People who are, are seeing their crops destroyed by changes in the weather patterns uh, care about it. And uh, and what they're also ignoring is the opportunity that global warming presents here. Um, we have a lot of thinkers uh, like Bob Poland who have looked at this problem and not only have come up with a plan to solve the problem, lowering the temperature of the planet. But the way you gotta do it is by increasing the amount of uh, of conservation and renewable energy uh, that this this economy depends upon. Our goal ought to be 100% dependence on, on renewable energy over time. And if we tried to do that, if we tried to meet the Paris deadlines, uh, which are not very hard to meet, that would put millions and millions of people to work in metal bending kinds of industries that people like, uh, in in high tech industries, uh, in in manufacturing, and it would it would revitalize our whole economy by making it more efficient. So, uh, I believe that that's the movement that we've all got to get behind. It's a full employment movement. It's a transform the American economy movement, and it's a save the planet movement. And um, as we lay out that plan I think we can we could see major major demonstrations in every part of the country as is gonna happen later on this month or in May uh, to demand jobs and saving the planet and we could uh, we could make the traditional Democratic Party argument about infrastructure into a high-tech modern uh, revive our economy,
2: kind of uh, kind of argument as well. So you mentioned Robert Pollan, who actually wrote The Greening of the World Economy and actually has his Ph.D. at UW-Madison here in Wisconsin. Uh, He says not only that it would only take 1.5% of GDP, so there are space aliens wondering if we're a smart enough species just to invest 1.5% of our wealth every year to prevent a genocide. He also says on a global scale, based on economic numbers, that these investments in renewable energy and also conservation pay for themselves on average in three years, which means if you have a financing mechanism, you have a financing mechanism for full employment. You don't even, and so it's just silly not to do this. And if you think about a place like Wisconsin, the Chamber of Commerce here says we're a coal state. Well, there's no coal mine in Wisconsin; it's shipped in. Whereas if you did small-scale renewable energy, you would have a way to employ people in the rural areas that are in economic decline in Wisconsin, and in the urban areas that, yep. that don't have enough jobs. Yep. So my goodness, it, it we have a huge positive economic imp- impact because it keeps the jobs where they are, where you live, right?
4: He is, uh, uh, Trump is not only uh, ignoring the environmentalists, he's also ignoring a lot of the uh, business leaders like Elon Musk and others who have made a fortune uh, doing renewable energy. And uh, we've gotten to the point where uh, solar and wind and other, other renewable energy sources are cheaper than new coal plants. Uh, it, it can't be done all through the market and that's that's the sticking point is that as uh, the Trump uh, doesn't want to and the, the ideological Republicans don't want to make the upfront investments that it's going to take to get things moving and prime the pump of solar energy and renewable energy uh, and they don't believe in regulating government what uh, regulating uh, industry like the coal industry or or the utility industry, as Obama was trying to do, so.
2: Or at least not regulating it for positive purpose. Exactly. I mean, in Wisconsin, Walker has uh, allowed the big utilities to change the rules so that you're punishing, they now punish people for conserving, they charge a much more, a higher base rate, and they have uh, prevented people from selling mo- most of their energy back to the grid, which is, of course, the opposite of what we should be doing.
4: Yeah, those kind of capitalists like to, like to get rid of the market when they can. Um, so uh, I think that there's a huge potential for a mass citizens movement to demand not only saving the planet, but jobs for the, for the next century. And, uh, and I think you're going to see that uh, starting uh, at the big march uh, in, in May here in Washington. Uh, it's, it's got something for everybody.
2: And if you think about it, I mean, because thought, you've thought about economic issues for a long time we do need to consciously structure the new renewable energy, energy conservation economy so we are creating living wage jobs. It doesn't naturally do that. Yeah. You could do weatherization as sweatshop jobs, right? That are non-union. So we need to build that in, right? So that we're actually creating professions for people that cannot be outsourced and which are and these are things that are labor intensive. In fact, we should invest in the things that are also labor intensive but also meet the carbon reduction goals and put in standards uh, that, we're, that make sure these are good careers with benefits that people can raise a family on.
4: This should be the moral equivalent of World War II, where we mobilized the country, we put people to work who weren't weren't overseas uh, uh, fighting, and uh, put women to work as well, and uh, and and managed to create a whole new middle class while we were fighting World War II. Uh, what what Trump misses is the uh, the the opportunity cost is very very small. And and what you could get is uh, a new set of rules for a new set of industries for America, uh, something to keep an eye on, and that's his so-called plan to do infrastructure rebuilding. And that's he what w- Trump Trump yes. yeah Trump has this. Uh, he waxes eloquently about how we're going to rebuild our, our our everything, our our infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our mass transit, our our our. Uh, our airline uh, terminals. But in fact, the people around him are readying a plan that will simply give tax breaks to people who want to build toll roads, Right. who've already got it financialized, and they're going to make money on these jobs, these deals anyway. Uh, they take the tax credits, and they make even more money. But they're not going to do the things that we need, and as a result, we're going to get a lot of, well, we may not get any building at all. I don't believe that they're going to spend the, the money that they need. But uh, it's, it's going to be inadequate. It's going to be low-wage jobs. It's going to be uh, a system without any kind of direction or regulation. It's whatever people want to do to take advantage of the tax
2: credit. So they're... Motive is going to be what makes them the quickest profits, yeah. not what we need uh, for 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 our infrastructure for 21st century workforce and, and we'll economy. we'll be
4: driving on toll roads, even right. out there in rural Wisconsin. As
2: wonderful as those little easy passes are, they're pretty expensive. Yeah. So at this conference, we both just saw Bernie Sanders speak, and it's amazing what uh, what a celebrity he's become. Well, how do you what do you think about the ongoing Bernie Sanders phenomenon? Because it's amazing. that everyone at this conference was just thronging to hear Bernie, and we're, it's like they're listening to a rock star.
4: Well, These are Bernie's people, but Bernie's people are a pretty large crowd. Uh, He is the most popular politician in America today. Uh, And he did it. I remember when he started thinking about running for office, he wasn't sure. He he was afraid of falling on his face. And, And we encouraged him, and he went out and did it. And it turns out there is such a hunger in America for, first of all, a politician that tells it straight. Secondly, a politician that talks about big things, free college for everybody, mm-hmm. which we, is clear, right? We used to do it in Wisconsin and California yeah. and other places. York, we, yeah. People have forgotten about that. But he's talking about bold, big ideas that inspire people. It inspires people to join together uh, to be part of a political movement. And and as of course as we all know, he financed his political movement by small donations, not by big money. So he has demonstrated for all of us that it's possible to do politics and first time out, come close to winning the presidency. Second time out, who knows who's gonna play the Bernie Sanders role next time around. Maybe Bernie, maybe somebody else.
2: So we've got to run now, but we've been talking to Roger Hickey, the co-director of the Campaign for America's Future. and We're we're from the People's Action Conference in Washington, D.C. And uh, you're listening to Battleground, Wisconsin.